Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include dysphoria, suicide, sexual abuse, involuntary hospitalization and medication, and religious trauma. So hi, everyone. My name is Gender Meowster. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm here talking with my very good friend today, who I'm going to let introduce themselves. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hi. My name is Brooke West, and I use they and she pronouns. I am on unceded Coast Salish land in Olympia, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. And although I spent most of my life on Chumash land in Southern California, I've been up here for about eight months now here at the um, far end of the first winter um, of gray that I've ever experienced. So I've heard uh, it's been snowing in April <laughs> in Olympia. Yeah, wind blowing sideways. Mm-hmm. It's not Southern California, that's for sure. It's not a desert, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's why it's one of the reasons why I'm here. I can breathe. Yeah, there's more moist. I can breathe. I love that. So for our chat, just to know what today's topic is, we're talking about yoga and yoga therapy and what it's like to use yoga to while you're trans and how that might help with the experience of being trans. So before we even jump into questions about anything, Brooke wanted to offer the community a short yoga practice. What should we do to prepare? So really the only thing when I teach that I like to suggest people come with is willingness. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to do anything really. You don't have to do any of this. I'm just going to make it a little trauma-sensitive, trauma-informed, guided relaxation for self-regulation and trauma recovery. So you might just take a moment to bring your awareness to your environment, the space that you're in. We use the five senses when we're coming back into uh, the body. So you might take a moment to... Notice maybe your sense of touch, the temperature in the space. You can make any adjustments to make yourself more comfortable. Once you have that information, you might notice the felt sense of your physical body against whatever it is that it's resting on. If you're standing, maybe at the feet. If you're sitting, maybe at the seat. If you're lying down, maybe just noticing the support Observing any sounds, notice the sound of your breath, in particular the sound of the out-breath. The out-breath is the relaxation phase of the breath. And if the eyes are open or closed, you might observe any sensations of light, color. If the eyes are closed, you might also perceive any sensations of light behind the brow bone by releasing the gaze into peripheral vision and not seeking experience, just being receptive, observing any taste in the mouth, scent to the air, 
feet lifts the belly more to the hands, arms more to the heart, or back, chest, the throat. Point between the eyebrows. Like so you can place your hands on your belly or your heart where you don't have to. Just taking another moment to observe the body breathing itself. You can deepen the breath if you prefer. You having a sweet conversation. Thanks for having me here. Thank you for listening, for your attention. I'm sending my love out to everybody. I could go on and on. <laughs> what you do is very restorative, which I enjoy. But before we get too much into talking about yoga, I do want to ask you my trans questions that I told you okay. I like to ask at the beginning. What are some things that you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be non-binary or gender diverse one day? As we were talking before we started, I'm 49 years old. I was born in 1972. And I grew up in LA in a pretty liberal community. However, my family of origin is not necessarily socially liberal as far as they're we're waspy, which is how my grandmother described us. So being queer wasn't okay. Doing anything out of the norm or out of the ordinary just wasn't tolerated. And so I stayed very, I was, I'm a good kid. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't like to get in trouble, but growing up I have, I had an older sister. She passed away. I also have a younger sister who's living, but they would dress my older sister for Halloween as the princess and they would dress me in a tuxedo. Mm. And I had to like it because they were not going to dress me in a dress. And I think that kept a door open in my mind for, I don't even know how to articulate it because my generation, I feel like we don't, I, we didn't, I didn't talk about it. I didn't really know anybody queer growing up. None of the kids in my group who grew up, I don't know that any of them are queer. And as far as like gender, that wasn't even a conversation on the radar. So most of my becoming has happened in the last few years, but I know that I always, I preferred, I like, I like to, I like to dress like a boy. I like flannels and monkey boots and jeans, but it goes deeper than that because practicing yoga, we talk about this sort of philosophical lineage of non-duality and we live in this dualistic existence good and bad black and white boy and girl but the whole point one of the one of the main points of yoga is to transcend all of that because in those binaries in those dualities is where the suffering lies mm -hmm. because we're trying to keep it like in a box someplace and things just don't stay in their boxes. I have a lot of expansive sort of philosophy anyway. Mm -hmm. I've had transcendent experiences. I've had experiences that were labeled as psychosis. And there's always been something missing in that conversation, getting a, a doctor's opinion mm -hmm. that doesn't fit what my own personal experience is. Yeah. So now aging, right? I'm in menopause and 
if I was queer before, I am definitely queer now. Like my sexual preferences change, which actually happens in menopause more commonly than anybody talks about. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. It's in the book. It's in Christiane Northrup's The Wisdom of Menopause. It's a mm. thick book. A and contributing yeah. authors. No, but she's worked with a lot of doctors over. She owned a, like a holistic clinic in Maine, maybe, or something for a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. And as I, when COVID hit, I got, I went online and I am part of a support group, a big worldwide support group. And I found a queer meeting and there were a lot of trans and non-binary folks that, that I like fell in love with on that meeting Mm -hmm. and hadn't really ever, I've been living in this really small kind of conservative coastal town and on the central coast of California and very homogenous, very white, not a big queer community at all. And so I hadn't really been exposed to the frequency, the vibe, the conversation, the love, like the community, I hadn't been exposed to it. And then all of a sudden in this queer, trans, non-binary, neurodivergent, neurodiverse, whatever you want to call that, like group, I found that I felt like I was at home. And so then reverse engineering, whoa, what is my, who, my identity? Thinking about this physical body that I don't relate to, like my chest, especially my, the breasts, like the whole that's like these these aren't like this doesn't like I have to I had to accept it when I was 12 like I like I was forced to accept it and I never even thought about it because I just don't have the I just don't have the brain type to to wish a lot of things I don't feel like that's really useful for me to wish things were different like to be in acceptance I can be in denial easily but And I think that's probably what I've done with my breasts is like been in denial. Like I'm not one to flaunt it. I don't bikinis and all that stuff. And I don't really think of myself as like man or woman when I'm thinking about myself. I remember walking down the street with my mom and I have been estranged most of my life, most of my adult life. But there was a time of like reconciliation. We were walking down the street in our my little town, uh, in the main kind of town. And she said to me, Brooke, men are looking at you. Like men are attracted to you. And I like had no idea. Not even remotely looking for that. Or I don't know, it just fits into a category of something that my brain just doesn't even think about. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about sex a lot of the time. I think I'm way less sexed than most people. I think that my this life is way more spiritual for me, although I find sex to be spiritual and wonderful, but it's not something that motivates me. And so even thinking about any part of the queer piece, any part of the gender queer piece. I've only recently been thinking about it. And when I think of other people, a lot of times I think of them as they, it's not really my, I don't think it's really my nature to be categorizing things or I've come far enough in my evolution as someone who wants to decolonize everything 
that like I'm looking at things much, much differently than your average bear. Yeah. You just blended so many concepts together in the most beautiful way. What a great shake. You're doing it. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) Someone in the chat mentioned that some of your experiences, particularly in regards to sexuality, sound rather ace or asexual spectrum and maybe demisexual or maybe asexual or some other flavor of the, the about- sex not being the thing that motivates you is very in that region of identities i didn't have kids i didn't want kids once i realized that you didn't have to have kids i was mm-hmm. like well, i'm not having kids why would i do that <laughs> a lot um, of spoons that's what i thought wow <laughs> children are so many spoons yeah yeah i don't um, want to do that and yeah so all of this vocabulary is new Mm-hmm. It's like relatively new. Me you've being been almost in that right? small town in California with no yes. LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I ace? I know I'm pretty demisexual. I know that's true. I'm really turned yeah. on by a good education too. It is also another thing too. But I would totally have sex if I had someone that I liked long enough to like stay with. I don't know. I just... This isn't a life where I'm gathering things. My understanding from some Vedic astrology is that this is a life for me to let go of things. So I I don't have kids. I, I don't have a partner. I don't have a house. I don't own property. I just am living for the day. And it's, I long for sort of the fairy tale, I think. And I really, I really enjoy people. And I also really enjoy my solitude. And I take a lot of seclusion being, being disabled, mm-hmm. I and highly sensitive empath and psychic, even I could go so far to say I need a lot of alone time to clear my channels and and self-regulate. I've lived with a lot of trauma. It's one of the reasons why I I do yoga and now offer yoga because it's a it's a it's a milieu where I I guess to some degree that I can control. I have some control and I can come back into my body. It's asked of me to come back into my body, to come back to my breath. And I needed to be a part of something that made sure that happened because I can go so far off Mm -hmm. trying to get away from all of this that I needed something really to harness me that was as peaceful and sweet and gentle as yoga can be. Yeah. So you use yoga to deal with dysphoria. I use yoga to deal with dysphoria, dysmorphia, sleep issues, mood issues, self-awareness, my ethics, the way that I talk to myself, recognizing my thought patterns. I use it as a mental health tool, a physical health tool. I use it as a way to give me some identity. Yeah, yeah. it's it allows me to. Yeah. I'm not doing it as a religion. I'm not doing it as because someone told me to believe in it. I'm doing right. it because I've experienced it and it, it it's true for me. It works mm-hmm. for me. Sounds like it's a big part of your paradigm. It's like beyond a special interest. Do I use it for my gender dysphoria? I would have to say that I don't think about it the way that I think you might think I think about it, like as far as how I use yoga for it, like as a remedy, Mm -hmm. because so much of the time, the yoga that I'm doing in my mind 
that's not the exercises. It's not the physical movements. So mm -hmm. that's such a tiny slice of pie of the whole pie. Mm -hmm. They say it's such a tiny slice of the pie, the exercise and the movement, that if I gave you that piece of pie, you would laugh at me and hand it back and say, give me more <laughs> because it's not even worth eating. Mm -hmm. It. That little tiny um, sliver, it just, yeah. It would just be a tease. And really that's what it is. I think that's how like the Western folks have come to yoga is through this physical practice. That's mm -hmm. great. If that's the gateway, cool. But there's so much more to it yeah. than that. Yoga as lifestyle. It's yoga as lifestyle. And it really, to me, has become a lifestyle of relaxation. Mm -hmm. It's about having a lifestyle of relaxation so that I can comb out what is true for me, mm -hmm. gender-wise, sexuality-wise, capitalism-wise, mm -hmm. who I want to be friends with, what's important to me. Like I can get so caught up in being a people pleaser and wanting you to like me. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't, that's exhausting. It is. It's been, it's exhausting. I feel like maybe we strayed for a second from something that you had asked and I don't know if I answered it, but I just wanted to. Oh yeah, I, goodness, I have so many different questions. I suppose I could ask you the audience question that has come up. Yeah. Mirami, Mirami asks, would you define what yoga is for you? Which Ooh, you just did, but if you want to try to question. crunch oh. it again. I find one of the hardest <laughs> questions to answer is what is yoga? What yeah. is yoga? Because actually it's a lot of things. Yeah. Yoga comes from the root yoke, yoke. What are we yoking? I think we're yoking this spirit thing to this earth thing. Mm -hmm. And in between, there's all kinds of different, oh, are we doing that through my physical body? Am I doing it through the way that I treat other people? Am I doing it by how I'm breathing? Like, when am I thinking of this like other bigger consciousness, this true consciousness that is nothing, it is without binaries. That's the place that I'm always working from because binaries have gotten me into really big trouble. So yoga to me, it is a way of living. It doesn't have to be, but it is for me. Yoga has given me a way to move through the world that is intentional. I can be mindful. I can use my hypervigilance to create a healthy environment for myself. It's yoga to me. It, it should be relaxation and something that allows me to check back into what my true nature is, what my intuition is saying, what's coming unbidden without me trying to monkey with it because I want to adjust my world and fix my world so that it's perfect. And, and it's not, and I just can monkey with it like until I'm blue in the face. So... Yoga makes me come into a state of acceptance of what is so that I can then calm the whirlpools in my mind and notice that I'm noticing that I've calmed the whirlpools in my mind. And that just noticing is part of the medicine of it. It's the remedy. Mm -hmm for being so externally engaged. So yoga for me is really an internal practice. Yeah. It sounds like it's perhaps partially an acceptance practice. Definitely. It, it, it has to be. And that's where the mindfulness comes in, right? Even just so I had some 
like my back went out this last week, my mm-hmm. SI joint went out and I have to be really mindful right now of like how I twist and how I reach and how I like put my seatbelt on and I'm yoking what's real in my body with what needs to happen so that I can be experiencing all of those things from a place of calmness and peace, joy, mm-hmm. love. Yeah, I have to be an acceptance of the fact that I can't throw my body around right now. And then trusting that if I continue to take care, mm-hmm. it will work out. And that it's working out by me taking care. So yoga is union with the divine is the goal, but it's also the journey. So it's not about what's out there in the samadhi or enlightenment that I might get if I do enough lotus pose or whatever. (laughs) It's okay, where am I right now? What needs to happen right now? Where's the joy right now? And I get wigged out, don't get me wrong, but there's a reason I practice yoga. Like, (laughs) There's a reason I have a lifestyle relaxation because I've been involuntarily hospitalized. I've been involuntarily medicated. I've been in states where get me out of this body, get me out of this reality, get me out of this like colonized situation, Mm -hmm. capitalism, men, mean women, people telling me what to do, like I can't even be, like Mm -hmm. I have no place to be. So I'm just gonna check out. Yeah, that brings us to our next question, which is how did you get into yoga? I walked through the door. When I was, so I grew up when I was born in Santa Monica, California, and my parents had a house in Benedict Canyon, which is in Beverly Hills, in the hills way back. We didn't have money necessarily. It was a long time ago. They bought this little cabin. And out the the canyon into Beverly Hills itself was a yoga studio owned by a man named Bikram way back when. And he was on a TV show called That's Incredible, where he would lie on beds of nails and then put a board over him and then have a motorcycle go over him. And I was like, what is that? And watching yogis in contortions get put into plexiglass boxes and having them be thrown into the pool and having them like be able to get out. What is that? And reading in like the Guinness Book of World Records, the guy with the longest fingernails and they're curled around and he's like a yogi. And like, the, the guy who's holding his arm up for 10 years as like some sort of spiritual practice. Like I was fascinated by all of that stuff. My mom had a record with a record sized booklet of black and white pictures of the yoga forms that they were telling us to do on the record. And we only did that once or twice. I remember lion. I thought that was so funny and I'm a Leo and I was like all about it. Could identify with it. We only did it a couple times, like I said, And it was like a sweet moment between me and my mom. We didn't have a lot of sweet moments together. Mm. So really fond memories of that. And then, and then in high school, there was a yoga class at the community center and I signed up and I went one time and then my sister uh, went to a drug rehab facility and I stopped going, but it was always there in the back of my mind. I should have gone back to yoga. And actually when I was a little kid, fifth grade, fourth grade, after school, I would stand in this one spot in the living room and I would do like 
somersaults and handstands. And I was like doing calisthenics in my like living room after school. Mm-hmm. I was really athletic when I was a kid, gymnastics and swinging on the bars and stuff. Fast forward 10 years later, my sister dies of a drug overdose, suicide, long time coming all that time was like 12 or 13 years later. And my friends, I was really depressed, suicidally depressed. And a couple of friends started taking a yoga class at the community college and they made me go and they threw me in the van and they like took me every time. And I did that for a few sessions. And then Bikram Yoga came to town when it got really popular back in 2002. Hmm. I had been asleep in my bed since my sister died three winters in a row with terrible seasonal affective disorder, suicidally depressed. I would sleep for 22 hours a day. I like trained myself to sleep. Mm. After my sister died, I was just like crushed. My family was like just split apart. It was devastating. And I thought, what's the point? Okay, so I know where I could go. There's an option there. My sister took that option. Okay, I have nothing to lose. So three people in one week said to me, you should try Bikram yoga. You should try yoga. Have you been to yoga? And so I went and I paid $10 for 10 days. And because my little sister was going and knew the owner there and knew what the situation was for me, and what that yoga could do, because it was so hot. It was 105 degrees. It was like the hot yoga. In exchange for bringing flowers into the yoga studio, I could practice for free. Wow. And so I was basically given a membership with in good faith that I would come and I would always make sure that there were fresh flowers. I owned a little flower business at the time that only operated on the weekends and holidays. And I started going and I started going five times a week. And I went and I went and I changed my body. I changed my mood. I changed the rhythm of my day. I changed my social interactions. I changed my heart rate variability and my lung capacity. I started looking at myself in the mirror for an hour and a half a day, wearing almost no clothes and had to come to terms with what my body looked like and then watch it change. But not only watch it change, I wasn't watching it change as much as I was feeling it. And because in the Bikram tradition, you do the same yoga postures in the same sequence every single time, no matter what studio you go to. I could track, which I think was really important for my mental health. I could track what had happened the day before in a certain pose and what was happening now today in a certain pose. And um, that gave me a sense of place where I was like, I haven't really had a sense of place with my gender. I never worked. I never got along with the girls at school. Mm -hmm. I hung out with the guys a lot. Mm -hmm. The girls that I was friends with weren't particularly girly. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if those girls are transmasculine or non-binary these days. Yeah. I don't know if she's watching, but my junior high school best friend was, we were in love with each other. But she, she came from a religious family and was expected to marry a boy of her religion. 
And when I leaned in to kiss her when I was 16, she leaned in for a sec and then she pulled away. And then we, our friendship broke up, which was also devastating to me. And then she ended up like looking for men to marry. But she is, she actually called herself queer to me this month. Oh my God. <laughs> She's married. She has kids. Religious. Wow. And there's something kind of non-binary about her, I would have to say. Yeah. And that's a thing that happens, right? Is like we as people in Western society are born into a place where there's a script for how you're supposed to behave and what you're supposed to do. And so deviating from that is people have some feelings about it and some opinions about it. And it's only when we have those moments where we have in one way or another hit a bottom, right? For you with yoga, it was when your sister passed away. For me with gender, it was like my brain was obsessively thinking about it and I literally couldn't think about anything else. It was like the volume just had to keep getting turned up and turned up and turned up until I dealt with it. And so it was at 11 out of 10. <laughs> we broke the dial and it was stuck on loud. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess I have to deal with this now. I can't yeah. keep uh -huh. kicking it down the road. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it got, I think it's gotten loud for her and it's really painful. Yeah, and that, so that dissonance painful. between what is authentic and true for me and what am I living today, that, that is one way to define dysphoria, is that dissonance between those two things. There was a time where I had breasts, I've now had my top surgery, but having all that chest tissue is just, and oh like, gosh. I and I've told you this personally before, like I didn't realize how much dysphoria I had about my chest until it was gone because I was in that constant snooze the alarm, just ignore it yeah. state, but there's so much energy that's expended doing that yeah. activity. Yeah. And, and for my mental health, I wonder mm -hmm. how much have I been snooze snooze and how much prana or energy would be released mm -hmm. if that snooze was off. Mm -hmm. Like these are big and they're uncomfortable and they're hurting my back and I can't run. I used to run mm -hmm. this with this. It's, yeah, this, this this whole, and then it changes for me too. Like I feel really comfortable with they as a pronoun. And I know that people prefer, especially trans people, they often prefer she or he. But there's something in my mind that is just they, they, like I'm not looking at that. There's something beyond, there's a spirit or a soul or like, yeah a being, something in there that is really what I relate to, I think, in my own mind. Yeah. That's, for me, the way that I move through the world. And so that therein, it's not so much a fight or an activism for, it's like a given. Yeah. So it's, that's it's hard interesting for to me. me that you have they and she pronouns instead of they, them pronouns. Yeah, you got to give it some time because I've lived a life that is like, I've lived a life in a very small community and had to build a business. This is my excuse, okay? Had to build a business in a new emerging profession. Yoga therapy is new. 
yoga therapy is 30 years old, maybe. And every time I say to someone, I'm a yoga therapist, I have to explain, which we haven't quite done yet. What is yoga therapy? What's a yoga therapist? And if I, excuse me, if I said, I'm a yoga teacher, you're going to pay me $10 an hour. I'm a dime a dozen. Yeah. Except you're not. Is different. Yeah. And I am different. And it's the moniker that it's what I use, but there's also something in me that's like a naturally a helper, a servant's heart, a healer, and can pull some magic down. Yeah. So can you tell us what type of yoga do you teach? What is that? Yeah. And then if you feel like also lumping in, what's the difference between a yoga teacher and a yoga therapist, then you can answer both or just one. Yeah. Did I finish my thought though? It feels like there was one little thing. No, I feel like I went on a tangent. I can't remember what it was. I just wanted to be sure that I answered the the last question, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, because I'm just so fascinated by my story. Yeah. How do you, it was, how did you get into yoga? That was the last question I asked. Yeah. So I started going to Bikram yoga and the teacher right away within the first two weeks said, Brooke, you should go to yoga teacher training. Oh, I know what it was. You talked about my, you talked about my pronouns why it was they and them. Yeah. It's, I feel like I'll go back to that, but I feel like this is an education and we all are teachers in a different way. And I want to do a soft entry for the people who I know in my own community back in California are able to take it in at a certain rate. And I feel like it's okay because I don't have anything to prove to them that they slowly start to integrate it so that it just is normalized. People respect me, I have a good reputation. And if I can deliver something as radical as this in a way that is really easily integrated, I will be doing a great service to society. That's how I feel about it. So instead of slamming it down with, here's this rough kind of shift, that's not my, that's just not my style. And I think that it's actually, I'm doing that intentionally because I know the people who, I know where I come from and I do want to make a permanent change. And so that's the tactic that I've decided to take. That's my strategy. I wanted to say, I just wanted to finish a little bit. The teacher saw me said, Brooke, you should go to teacher training. I had this meditative focus. It was just natural. I ended up going to a teacher training a couple of years later and a lot of magic and things happened that was that weren't supposed to happen to help me. I kept getting scholarships. I kept getting, I kept the door kept opening for me and I didn't have any money. I was really not well after my sister died and mm-hmm. being hospitalized and medicated and like coming out of that. It's just, it, the whole thing was, it's incredible that I made it through. And also with my, my queerness, it's incredible that I'm, that I persevered, went to yoga teacher training, then was invited to come back and do this yoga therapy track that I had already started, but hadn't existed when I started it. And they developed this program around it. And then, yeah, I'm like one of the original Ananda yoga therapists. I'm like one of the first 10. Is Ananda the type of yoga you teach? So I went to Ananda Village in Nevada City, has a retreat center called the Expanding Light at Ananda. Ananda is within the lineage of Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, who wrote the autobiography of a yogi, who was a yogi who came to the United States back in 1921. And he stayed until 1953 when he died. And he traveled across the United States back in the 20s and the 30s, teaching this yoga called Kriya Yoga, Mm -hmm. which is a certain breathing technique 
mantra and mudra movement of the finger. It's just, just a simple kinesthetic kind of experience to get people into a meditative, a meditation, a meditative state. He ended up settling in California where I'm from and has an ashram in Encinitas with a surf spot called Swami's and a place in Pacific Palisades. I went to school right next door when I was little. And when he died in 1953, the nuns, he left the self-realization fellowship. That's his like church of self-realization. That's what he, it's this like meditative meditation community. He left it to the nuns and the nuns kicked out the monks and the monks dispersed and they all started these little communities. They call them, they're like intentional communities based on yogic principles. World brotherhood colonies is what they call them. Because Yogananda said a great cataclysm is coming and you'll want to live simply and with high ideals because that's all that you're going to get to use when this cataclysm comes, which may be here. And one of those monks started Ananda, which is up in Nevada City, and it's got 250 people who live there. And so I was trained there. Yeah. And it's a, it's a branch of yoga that is considered yogic mysticism. So we're practicing what we call Raja Yoga, the royal path. If we're fortunate enough to be able to access yoga, we're probably the wealthiest people on the planet. We're not having to deal with hauling water or firewood, dealing with marauders and terror, although we all are experiencing terror. But if I have the opportunity to be able to sit and meditate, it's my service to the world to be able to be a calm presence and a beacon for that calmness so that other people can remember that they have that within themselves. And if they are so inclined, and I like to help people access that, they can practice it too, and we can hold the light. So I teach restorative yoga, which is considered the passive yoga, where you take blankets and you fold them and you put them on the floor and then you drape your body over them and you rest. And then I guide you through a visualization and meditation while you're in those forms, very simple forms. And really what I'm doing is I'm teaching meditation, disguising it as restorative yoga, which everybody wants to do because it's like nap time for grownups. Mm-hmm. If you're a grown up, and then but it's a yoga like really fancy nap time where you like actually get good sleep. <laughs> it's super restorative. Yeah. So one, one hour of yoga nidra which is a deep uh, yogic sleep where you're not exactly asleep. You're you're half awake and half asleep and you're in that liminal space between, right? Mm-hmm. That's that, that non-binary brainwave state. It's equivalent to four hours of actual sleep. So a yoga teacher is taught how to teach yoga forms or poses to a group, any group. But a yoga therapist is taught how to teach all different things about yoga to people with specific issues or Mm -hmm. small groups with specific issues. So you go to a yoga class at a yoga studio and it's just a flow class and they're not going to say, what are you going through? What are you going through? Okay, I'm going to doctor the the sequence for the people in the room. That's what I do. And I also offer specific specific therapy, yoga therapy for different medical conditions, anxiety and depression, mental health issues, trauma. 
stress. That's what I've ended up focusing on. Mm-hmm. I think because I've experienced it and and I know what it takes to create an environment where I could actually calm down. So I offer that to other people. Mm-hmm. Another thing that separates yoga teachers from yoga therapists, yoga therapy, because it's an emerging field, what we're really interested in is developing research that shows how these practices are affecting people. It's Mm -hmm. almost always for the better. And so the idea of research and also of integrating with the medical community. So I can work with a psychologist or a a psychiatrist if they're willing. I've worked with pain psychologists on teams for some of my clients. They're therapists. I have an understanding of what their sort of like care, what's the word I'm looking for, really what their care is. And I want to help to, I want to complement it. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people are receiving care for say a mental health issue. They're not going, they're not, none of their care providers are suggesting that they practice anything in the body Yeah, or at least that's how it's been. It's a lot of talk therapy and mental stuff, but then yoke all of that talk therapy to your body, which is where yoga comes in. Yeah. And maybe the nicest way for a lot of people could be relaxation. Yes. Methods. Because napping is much nicer than being in a hot room doing repetitive things. For some people, they need the hot room being repetitive because of their brain. (laughs) Yes. And their body. The predictability. Remember, I was an athlete when I was a kid. Like, I needed. Yeah. I totally did Bikram yoga in 2002 when it was at the height of being a thing. I remember, like, getting up at five in the morning to get in a car and drive with my mom half an hour into the studio that was in the next town over and do the 6 a.m. Bikram yoga class before I had school at 7.40 a.m. Wow, the focus. Yeah. We only maintained it for one winter because it was like dark and cold and depressing. And it was like the thing that was helping us maintain our mental health through that dark, cold winter. Like right after her divorce, like everything was terrible. And so we went and did Bikram yoga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I was so sweaty, and then I had to go do PE at school, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, you're like, "Can I get an? Can I get a note from my yoga teacher that I've already done this?" Can oh I, my yeah. God! <laughs> can I skip the mile today? I already sweated for an hour. <laughs> this place. I'm just gonna hang out over here by the weird naked adults. I'll, I'll be your. I'll hold your clipboard. <laughs> I'm going to go get a Capri Sun. I'll be right back. (laughs) And I love that Bikram was some of your very early experiences with yoga as well as a young person. Like, how cool that that wandered into both of our lives. Young, I was 29, 30. But the thing that's interesting to me is that Bikram's teacher, Vishnu Ghosh, was Yogananda's brother. Oh, my gosh. And my teacher's teacher is Yogananda. So all that time that I was sweating in that hot room, it was all in the lineage of this certain meditation technique. Mm-hmm. And when I was in third grade, I was sent to a, a private school that was right next door to Yogananda's Lake Shrine in Pacific Palisades. And so I was like on that same like frequency, like power spot where all these people were coming from all over the world to meditate in this certain meditation technique. Mm -hmm. Some of Gandhi's ashes are there. Like it's a power spot on the Pacific coast in LA near Malibu. I have been infused with this light, this path, this like purpose, this 
it keeps coming up if you look back in my world. Okay, so here's the other thing I wanted to mention. In yoga philosophy, they, there's something called the yugas. And the yugas are eras. And they're long. They're like, I don't know, 26,000 years each or something like that. And within this cycle of time, there's a dark age, which is what we, they say we're coming out of. Then there's a middle age where it's like the age of energy. And then there's the lightest age, the highest kind of age, where during that time in the highest age, sattva yuga, they call it, people communicate through telepathy and people are androgynous. Oh, really? Yes, really. They don't That's have so genital. Cool. Yeah. You can live in any of those yugas in your mind. Am I going to live in the dark yuga? Am I going to live in a place that's slogging with pain and trouble and everything is really hard? Am I going to live in an age of energy where I'm working at things on the mundane level? Or am I going to live maybe just mentally, but maybe that's all we need in a place that transcends time and space and sound and gender and the binary. That's where I want to live. So learning about the yugas was also pretty transformational, I think, as a dial clicking over to, okay, what is this gender thing and where do I fit in? Because mm -hmm. if the ultimate like expression of humanity is to be androgynous and to not have a gender, then I'm going to practice that right now feels easier. So if you, do you think that part of that might have to do with surgeries in the future? Are you running into like barriers to, to body modification that you want? Financial like, barriers and mm -hmm. logistical. I would ha I'm a yoga teacher, right? So I'm moving around a lot. Yeah. And so it's, it's pricey to be able to take that much time off and all of that. But I tell you what, almost every time that I'm naked, I'm looking at my body and I'm moving my body parts around and I'm looking at myself mm -hmm. as if I didn't, what would I look like? What would it feel like? Yeah. I think about it all the time. Well, but also I have physical issues and I'm not sure that my body wants to go through that sort of healing, that sort of trauma and healing. Mm -hmm. And because I'm still in menopause, my body's changing a lot. I don't know. It's not my first priority. You know, I just moved across the country and I'm looking at my career a little bit differently after COVID. And so I'm not prioritizing it, but I did, if I had 10 grand, it might be something I considered. Yeah. Did you know that in January, Washington state passed a rule that all this, the health insurances in the state have to cover trans stuff. So as long as you get it documented, it might actually be covered 100% by your health insurance. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. That's a reality. Literally our guest last week, like moved across the country to get access to the healthcare we have in Washington. So just so you know, it's possible money won't be a problem in terms of getting the stuff paid for and then the stream team that i'm in the process of starting with a couple friends is our goal is to raise direct mutual aid for people so they can afford to take time off work to go get their gender affirming care this is exactly the thing we're working on which is why i'm asking you about it because it's super 
important to address this stuff. And I can't do anything about your age and your physical healing experience, right? Like I don't have a solution for that. Maybe you do and yoga does, but it's possible that the financial barriers could be removed. I think it's very possible. That's the radical activist work that I'm actively doing every day of my life when I come and sit down at this computer to do these streams is that's actually the whole point of what I'm doing is to remove that barrier for people. I like to attune to things and it hasn't felt until just now like it was something that I could attune to that would actually mm. be fruitful. Like mm. I was saying before, I'm not somebody who wishes for things that aren't yeah. possible. Yeah. I go into denial. I, I will, that is very interesting. Oh my no. God, that would be amazing. I know, <laughs> it is so amazing. Amazing. It is, it's so good. And just the folks, like, like the universe conspired to get you through all those teacher trainings and you just kept getting scholarships and all of that. What if that is possible to happen again now? Like what if the universe is conspiring that you just happened to move to a state in eight months ago that is going to cover this thing that you've been in the process of realizing is a thing. I definitely need to get hooked up with a therapist because I'm having a really hard time. And yeah, I do want to talk to them about all of this. I, I know people that can write you letters. We can talk about that. Of course you do. People. It's the alphabet mafia. We do what we want. <laughs> I took a couple of notes here and there were just a couple of other things that I would, that I wanted to could I mention? Yeah. Are, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. are we going over time? Okay. So I had my first girlfriend when I was 43, I think. So I'm late. I'm a late comer outer. And that girlfriend taught me so many things. And one of the things that she talked to me, that she taught me about how internalized I had, how much I had internalized sexuality and gender. She's not non-binary, but she very well could call herself that. She lives that in such a wonderful, beautiful way. I'm super inspired by, by her. I'm so glad that I can say that now. I was so heartbroken by what had happened in our breakup, but I really am inspired by her. And anyway, she was often mistaken as for a he and would be called sir all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching her moving through the grocery store and how she was not exuding a gender or a sex mm -hmm. frequency to move through the store. Mm -hmm. She was moving through the way that she is. And it made me recognize in myself how often I have used my gender as currency mm -hmm. to get to the front of the line, mm -hmm. to get a favor from the guy behind the counter mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and there was a real profound turning point for me in that that i don't know it was a spiritual like awakening for me it was a transition in the way that i looked at myself and the way that i realized that i moved through the world and how some people don't have that privilege i'm white i'm educated compared to the rest of the world i'm wealthy i I look my gender assigned it, or I did a lot more before and how that is that just furthers inequity. I've been disabled. My, my hand swelled up when I was 12. I have a lymphatic disorder. And, and so I've, I've seen the world from different eyes. I've been what I would consider fat. So fat, queer, disabled. And so I may not 
I don't know how I appear to other people as I move through the world, but I know that the way that I'm thinking about the world is different than the way my younger sister moves through the world mm-hmm. or the way those girls in junior high school move through the world. Yeah, I have a different perspective. Maybe there's some autism in there, some just wired differently. And I'm good with it. I think that there's a shift happening for humanity in general. And maybe it's on a DNA level or a chromosomal level, or I don't even know what, an endocrine level. Bring it on because mm-hmm. this thing that we've created is not working. I don't have to say that. Everybody knows it. And and so I think that trans and polyamory are two of the most decolonizing ways of living on the planet that we have thought if we have a choice about him i think i'm i think i'm polyamorous just like naturally and i'm probably trans just naturally but i wouldn't have known about it if i hadn't been exposed to it and if you hadn't come before me and all of that been out and all of that yeah (laughs) i know the legacy the lineage and i have been so unhappy with this world that i was born into deciding to be self-employed as soon as I got out of college. Like, I can't work for a corporation. Mm-hmm. They want me to work for Dole or Disney or something. No way. Mm-hmm. I am too radical. I'm too innovative. I'm too creative. I'm too like, yeah, I just, it just doesn't fit for me. I'm also Aquarius rising and I love the the innovative and that which speaks to all of humanity not just one so i wanted to mention that and i wanted to mention that i'm doing this i'm doing this wonderful yoga nidra yoga so it's the deep relaxation yoga i have a yoga therapist i am a yoga therapist and i'm working with a yoga therapist named marina patrice var they and she and mp are their pronouns They live in Philadelphia. They teach online and they teach daring to rest. They just offered a 21 day program. And one of the, there it's like a guided relaxation and it's wonderful. And they work, they work uh, with people who are moving through gender free pregnancy and sweet perfection. Yoga therapy offers intersectional trauma informed care that centers queer, trans, and non-binary folks and families. But there's a lot of like post post prenatal and postpartum for non-binary um, and trans folks, like people who don't identify as mothers or who are bearing children. Anyway, I highly recommend their work. They had this meditation for us where we call upon our our council of support mm-hmm. whether it's people or angels or people who don't exist anymore on this planet or whatever and it was it's very profound and i was doing my dishes the other day not in a nidra space and i felt the presence of this like avatar of all my council support and they were taller than me darker in color like not even a human but they were definitely gender free. There was like a genderless, because I remember thinking, is this presence male or female? Mm. And the answer was no. 
and know, and that, and there is peace there. Mm-hmm. There is peace there. Oh. So, I just really appreciate being. We need to to everything that's happening in Florida and all of that, and every and all those states. It's like yeah. eighteen states or twenty five states. So it's like a we lot talked about it at length last week on stream. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on politically right now. It's a pretty concentrated attack on trans people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So being queer and trans is political. Yeah, and our our identities and our bodies are politicized. The same thing has been happening to BIPOC people ever since the creation yeah. of this country. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're about halfway through stream, unless you want to be done. Oh, we're only um, halfway? Yeah, it's, we can do two hours. We can do two hours easily. Um, oh, I thought I was yakking your ear off. and No, you're being normal. I should have told you during tech that it's one or two hours. And I don't remember what you filled out on the talk show form. But. I said two if I can handle it. But I looked at the, I don't know, I thought it was... Anyway, yes. What a fun conversation. We're going to pivot now to a handful of more specific questions about yoga and gender dysphoria. And I wonder, Brooke, do you want to start with the reading that you have or do you want to start with some questions for this segment? I would like to just do maybe a tiny bit of reading if that is all right. So is this reversed if I do it like the... The green screen is clipping it out. There we go. A Queer Dharma, Yoga and Meditations for Liberation by Jacoby Ballard, forward by Shannon Barat, Beret. Susanna Barkataki. Oh, I can't read that. Susanna Barkataki. Yeah. So this book just came out in December. Oh, it's nice. amazing. Rad. Written by Jacoby Ballard, who is a trans yoga teacher and activist and he could he can say it better than i can about how yoga is helpful for what are these questions you want to ask me gender dysphoria yoga is can be helpful for anyone if they have the willingness i think mm-hmm. and part of the thing that we're looking at now different than 20 years ago when i first started teaching yoga is how trauma affects the people who come into a yoga space and how trauma affects the way that we are not in our body, fight or flight. We want to get out of the situation. Depersonalization, I'm no longer in this body. Dysmorphia, I don't even know what my body looks like to you. Mm -hmm. Am I skinny? Am I fat? I don't know. And then the dysphoria when you want to be in a different body, right? Yoga, the practices of yoga simply allow us to become present. And when we have a little bit more space to be present with what is, we have more capacity to manage what is and to hold room for all of that injustice that we're all living with. So Jacoby writes in this book that his queer and trans yoga classes, he teaches the same as he does any class but the context is different and the references are different and the music is different Mm -hmm. and the clothes people come in wearing are different Mm -hmm. and the laughter is different and the vulnerability and the nobility are maybe a little bit different. There's a chapter in here called teaching queer and trans yoga 
And it starts with this quote, this question, why do LGBTQ people need a separate space, a separate class? Isn't that exclusive? People have asked me this question over 15 years of teaching queer and trans yoga. My answer is the class is needed now, given oppression within and beyond yoga in the US. Ultimately, I would love every yoga class to truly embrace all students of every gender, ability, race, and age. That is just not the case right now. Mm-hmm. Until we take on oppression and privilege and its dynamics in yoga classrooms, trainings, and retreats, a class like queer and trans yoga is needed to provide queer and trans people with the life-saving tools and skills of yoga. It can be easier for us to walk into an, what they call an affinity class a class where if you're BIPOC, it's BIPOC. If you can only do a chair practice, it's chair practice. You can't get, if you're queer, if if you have Parkinson's, we can be ourselves a little bit more easily. Queer and trans students report seeking refuge in the teachings and teachers only to experience further homophobia, heterosexism, racism, transphobia, fatphobia, and ableism. Yoga, communities are often quite toxic in my experience. And yoga teachers are often not well qualified. They're not well trained and they don't have the experience that's required to teach people with special needs and our American and maybe it's global mindset, our white colonial mindset is not compassionate enough to recognize that certain people have certain needs and that the words that the words that I am using right now may be offensive to someone, but at least I'm aware that if they are, I won't be surprised and offended if someone brings it up to me have the the humility and the willingness to learn not everybody has that right now Mm -hmm. yoga teachers included there's too much fragility so yoga teacher Kalia Marshall reflected once there's so much pain that comes with trying to be who you are in a society that doesn't approve of who you are society is constantly telling queer and trans people that we shouldn't exist through overt and subversive forms of oppression. When we do not possess the tools and presence to shield ourselves from or uproot these continuous messages, we experience trauma that embeds itself in our bodies and hearts, our relationships and our community. So even by not being welcome, it's causing, right? The offering of queer and trans yoga recognizes the existence and persistence of trauma among queer and trans people. Trauma to the individual, which varies among individuals, and the trauma that we collectively hold. And then there's a list of a lot of different traumas. Suicide, harassment, murder, denial of services, blah, blah, blah. Don't have to go into it. We've all lived it. The practice of yoga encourages us to examine our behaviors and look deeply into them. Do they come from a place of fear or even terror? 
In class, we can examine our experiences of trauma and how they affect everyday thinking, emotional responses, and embodiment. We can anticipate a trigger and use resources of breath, sensation, and orienting to the space that we're in to keep us in the here and now so that we might respond to a difficult moment or situation in a way that is healing. Healing trauma does not necessitate an end to injustices, but rather provides us with tools to be present and skillful in the midst of injustices, neutral circumstances, and pleasures. So there's this spectrum of experiences that we have. Of course, we seek to create a just society, but as Larry Yang suggests, that road is long. In the meantime, yoga and mindfulness practices prevent us from perpetuating further harm out of our own dysregulation. So when you're in dysregulation, you're in fear, you're in stress, you're in worry, you're in overwhelm, Mm -hmm. your behavior is going to be affected and it's going to, we get irritable, we get, right? We get angry, we get, we take, turn it on ourselves and we feel guilty or we go to our addictions or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But when we come into a yoga practice, we are simply becoming aware of what is happening, of what is. And from there, we can make an, a, a decision, on a choice. We can decide to, to do something different. Regulating ourselves, our emotions, our trauma, so that we can actually be in present executive mind, as opposed to in lizard brain reactivity, animal behavior, Mm -hmm. but really be in human higher awareness behavior, planning, sense of humor, communicating, negotiating, apologizing, being compassionate, like intellectual. We just have a whole lot more choices than if we're running on like lizard brain. But when we're in trauma, when we have trauma, fight or flight, we are in primitive brain, lizard brain. We're not able to think and negotiate and manage our our lives. For the dysphoria, if you're fixed on changing your gender, there may not be, there may not need, does there need to be a remedy for that? So change your gender if you can get to it. If you can't get to it, coming into maybe a relaxation or coming into the bo- last thing you want to do when you're miserable in your body is come back to your body. Yeah. So having a skilled teacher and a wonderful welcoming community or doing it online, finding somebody that you like to be moving with and you like that kind of movement or that kind of breathing or meditation, all of those parts are healing. Remember when I said I first got to Bikram, I changed my body, I changed my sleeping pattern, my eating pattern, my, my social world, my, like all of those things were part of the healing. It wasn't just that I did this one sequence or this one pose that I thought was really like, I looked fancy in it. That's not what it is. It's mindfulness where we are choreographing our movement with our breath 
brings us back into the present moment. It creates GABA in the brain, which helps us to regulate our hormones and our stress. It helps us sleep better. There are things going on in the system beyond did that, did I look fancy in that pose? Mm-hmm. That makes this practice valuable for anyone, in my opinion. Yoga is broad enough that no matter who you are, we should be able to find something that you can do. If you're a yoga, if you're a yoga therapist, you've been trained in a thousand techniques. And of those thousand techniques, there must be one or two that your body and your mind can do right now to bring you into present moment. You just need to talk to somebody. You might even already know some of those techniques that get you into present moment and not know that they fall under the umbrella of yoga. It's not some like mystery thing that's hidden behind the curtain. When you're cold and you drink hot tea, that's yoga. You're re- you're you're remediating with the with the, the a remedy of the opposite. Yoga and Ayurveda are remedies of opposite. You're thinking too much. You think you should sit down and think about what you're thinking again? Like that doesn't make any sense. But the opposite of that is not thinking. It's watching your thinking. Not trying to find the solution, but just watching it zip. And like objectively, it's almost like I can laugh at myself now so much better than I could before because I don't identify with this anymore. I am not the body. I am. A, this is a temporary sheath in my belief system. My soul is coming through and animating this thing. And I have this thing so that I can do what my soul wants to do and learn the lessons. And in 40 years or 40 days, or I don't know when I'm going to die, but whenever it is that I die, this thing is going to just rot. I like to be comfortable in this thing. And I do a lot to make myself comfortable in this thing. The way that I eat and sleep and hydrate and dry brush and the soap that I use and the exercise I do or don't do, you know. Brooke, it's really, it's amazing how much information you have in your brain and your body and your spirit about yoga because it's take it's take everything that you've learned in 50 years of being alive or less and stuff it into a two-hour conversation it's such a challenging task and i can tell that you have such a breadth of knowledge about this so maybe before i ask more questions if we have piqued people's interest How can they learn more about you or listen to you be well-versed about yoga some more? How can they pay or hire you for your services? Like what are some of the options available for folks that, that want Want more of this therapy stuff? Yeah. I had someone take my class at Cal Poly. I taught at the local university in San Luis Obispo for a few years and she took my class in 2013. And in January, she called me nine years later and said, I want to work with you privately. Can, will you be, can I, can I, will you be my yoga therapist? I need to do work with you. I w- I'm amazed that it, it made such an impact on her, this restorative yoga that I teach, this relaxation-based 
You just get to rest. You have permission to rest. Mm -hmm. So that's what I teach. That's the backbone of everything that I teach is this restful practice and and self-awareness. I lead 12-week yoga therapy programs. I don't offer single sessions to new clients because really what yoga is meant to be a long-term practice, Mm -hmm. a disciplined, consistent, and long-term practice. It's written in the yoga sutras. And so when I work with people, I like to be able to work with them for at least three months so that we can develop a rapport and trust and see if it's a fit and see some changes if if changes are going to happen. And they they always do unless there's a willingness factor that the person can't, they can't go into the willingness. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm not it's not the fanciest Instagram, but I love it. I'm looking at the newfangled marketing and all of that. I'm starting to put um, programs into an, an online teaching portal. And I am planning, it's not official yet, but on May 20th, 21st, and 22nd, I'll be leading an online and in-person restorative yoga training and retreat. It's a 12-hour program over the course of one weekend. It will be recorded and you will be able to replay them. We'll be going through what's called the balancing sequence. It's a restorative sequence that's propped on the floor with blankets and pillows six different forms, a forward bend, a backward bend, a twist, another backward bend, and a little bit of a gentle inversion where your head is lower than your heart. How to modify those alternatives if you need. Different bodies can do these forms or we can find something compatible or similar. That's a retreat for learning how to do these practices, why we do these practices, how to create a trauma-sensitive environment for yourself, for other people, what that means. And we get to rest a bunch. And if you're a yoga teacher already, you get continuing ed units. That's a really nice experience. It's a, it's a, like a deep dive. It's an immersion into a balancing sequence that will balance mood. It's for both anxiety and depression. And there aren't too many people who teach the way that I teach and what I teach. So really right now it's one-on-one programs and it's that group weekend workshop. I do from time to time teach weekly classes, but I'm not at this point. If you go onto my website, you can sign up for my uh, newsletter and get the very rare email. Although my teaching schedule changes all the time, that or Instagram is really the best way to keep tabs on me. So I have your training that's coming up pulled up on the screen behind you on stream right oh, now. Oh, you do? I do. Yeah. That's why I've been quiet cool. this for a minute here is I was trying to get it all set up. So it looks like you actually have early bird registration for your restorative yoga training and retreat that's coming up. Yeah. And when does that early bird window end? May 15th. May 15th so you have a little bit of time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the the podcast only version of the episode should be out before then. Yeah. I love just describing this for people listening on the podcast and can't see your website. I love all of the different shades of blue that you use. I'm curious if you feel like telling us about your iconic blue yoga blankets that are everywhere on your website and in your practice. It's because it's a fun side note. Yeah. An identifying factor. So I own about a hundred yoga blankets, about 75 of them are this like kind of 
baby blue color. And actually I was doing, I, I received a grant. I fundraised for those blankets because I wanted to teach an evidence-based yoga therapy program at drug and alcohol services for their mental health court and their drug court clients. We wanted to see if yoga helped them reduce their anger and their recidivism and, and it did. But I had to hand the check over to the county of San Luis Obispo and I had to have them buy the blankets. And this accounting lady in the back bottom of this huge office building bought those blankets. That's the color she chose. And so it's completely random that I didn't pick that color, mm -hmm. but they're really comforting, calming. Yeah. And, and then in Vedic astrology, one of my strongest planets is, is Saturn, which corresponds with sapphire, blue sapphire. And so it is strengthening for me to have blue and that blue violet color. I, I also like it because it, it corresponds to this highest chakra, the, the sixth chakra, Anya mm. chakra, where, you know, we, we go past fight or flight and into rational mind reason there it's those higher centers it's um it's voice and self-expression i had a really hard time expressing myself wasn't allowed to express myself and had to take up take a lot of years to just to, to start finding my voice and um it's soothing and all i live to soothe it's totally so, soothing i'm glad that i'm glad that you like that and I'm, I'm just feel like i'm just starting to figure out this online world and i teach people all over the world i've had clients in australia and canada and in georgia and florida and upstate new york and the bay area and yoga therapy is surprisingly effective online actually i do sometimes fundraise so that people can afford my services and I do often offer scholarships. And so if the rates that you see are prohibitive to you, but you're interested, please reach out and talk to me because if you wanna be there, I want you to be there. Mm -hmm. I want you to learn this because like I said, there's a, there's a beacon that we are and the world needs as many beacons of calmness as possible right now. Wisdom, the wisdom and the calmness. Yeah. So we learn to get ourselves there in, in my programs and my classes and trainings and retreats. Um, I would love to hear from you. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah. So Instagram again is Brook West Yoga. That's the handle on Instagram at Brooke West Yoga and Brooke with an E. Yeah, that's right. B-R-O-O-K-E-W-E-S-T-Y-O-G-A. I like your reels on Instagram. You do? Yeah, you do fun little things. They're very fun. I do not like to be on display. I do not like to be seen. If that's dysphoria, dissociation like i don't want you to look at my body i don't want you to look at my shape i don't want you to look at my face mm -hmm. i don't want you to judge me i don't want you to categorize me i don't want to be seen mm -hmm. so instagram is really uncomfortable for me but i think i do an okay job 
I give you a little bit of what I've got. And then I close the door and I am here in my, I bask in my seclusion at home, my very <laughs> calm, peaceful, uplifting environment. I have a silly question. Okay, I like it. Does your cat inspire any yoga in you? Oh, my kitty cat. Yeah, this cat, I think, is an incarnation of my previous dog, Mm-hmm. who I think is also an incarnation of my sister. <laughs> so I think that I have my sister's energy here because these companions are so wonderful. And I really had to learn patience mm-hmm. with my dog. I had never owned a dog like that before. This cat, I have to be an acceptance of who this cat is. This cat does not do what I want him to do at the time that I want him to do it. So, you know, those practices, the ethics that are the fun foundation of yoga, I use those ethics and those morals or those social values all the time. That those two pieces are way more important than the movement factors of yoga. And I really I'm really interested in in ethical leadership, spiritual and ethical leadership because we're not talking about those sorts of things as being yoga. Patience, acceptance, forgiveness. I have to forgive this cat every time it meows at me for wanting more food. You know what I mean? Go back into love. Love is yoga. There's nothing more yoga than love. The union of the divine with the irritation of the cat hair. So on the topic of yoga ethics and spirituality, How do ethics inform spirituality and how can yoga ethics support gender identity and integration into a heteronormative world? Oh my gosh, I could spend like a half an hour talking about just that. I should have had like a PowerPoint (laughs) thing. Do Brooks TEDx. It's a great idea, Jack. So in yoga, there's something called the yamas and niyamas. They're like the 10 commandments of yoga. And I hate to Christianize it, but... It's one way to look at the ethics and the moral precepts. The first one is non-harming. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi used that one. The second one is non-lying, telling the truth. Mm -hmm. The third one is not stealing or being generous. The fourth one is what they call brahmacharya. It's like moderation in the way that we expend our energy sometimes translated as celibacy, but that's not necessarily what it really means. In It means much more than that. And then the fifth one is non-greed. So those are the ones that we do in relation to other people. We don't harm them. We don't harm ourselves either. We don't lie. We, we don't steal. Those are five. Then the other five are cleanliness, how we treat ourselves, contentment, we have to choose these things, self-study, austerity, and surrender to what they say, surrender to the divine. So read the question again. How do ethics inform spirituality and how can yoga ethics support gender identity and integration into a heteronormative world? That sounds like a question I would write. Okay. Read the first part. How do ethics inform spirituality? Okay. So these ethics, cleanliness, not stealing, blah, blah, blah. This is a spiritual practice for me. I know when I'm lying. I know when I'm stealing. If I decide I'm not going to do that, 
then I'm having, I'm in a spiritual conversation. I'm in some sort of conversation with me, myself, and I, whatever bigger self that might be. So I, and that, that fifth of the niyamas of surrendering to the divine, that is something spiritual. You're imagining that you're not alone or that you're a part of something greater. Mm-hmm. Maybe more true than not alone is a part of something greater. You could never be disowned ever. Mm-hmm. Even if we think, even if I'm alone sleeping 22 hours a day after my sister died, I'm not disconnected. Mm-hmm. It would have affected a lot of people if I had died. So does that, it, I don't know if that's a clear enough explanation of how does ethics inform spirituality. Yeah, Isn't I it mean, spiritual to not hurt someone? That's a whole class that I took in undergrad is spirituality and ethics. We spent an entire semester on that. So it's a huge topic for sure. Yeah. And <laughs> so we can just acknowledge there is a connectedness between those two concepts. <laughs> There's a connectedness between those two concepts. And every, all the world's spiritual traditions have a very similar code of ethics, mm-hmm. like I said, like the Ten Commandments. Yeah. The Buddhists have the four precepts, right? There's just codes to, to allow our, our, excuse me, our culture, our society, and our communities be sustained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't want war. We want peace and joy. Yeah. So all the stuff that's happening in the world is warring like, no bueno. So then what, so then the second part. How can yoga ethics that question? support gender identity? Okay. If I'm practicing non-harming, what feels the most uplifting to me when it comes to my gender, to think about myself, to surround myself with, what am I going to ingest as far as like media, or messages from the environment? Am I gonna be honest with myself, non-lying? Am I going to be myself? Am I going to tack that new pronoun to the front of my pronouns? That's being honest, non-stealing. Am I stealing future joy for myself by being in the closet? I know that to be true for myself. Now, looking in hindsight, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to thieve myself unless I have to be safe. And I think a lot of that, the reason why it took me so long is because, so that's how I approach anything. I superimpose these ethics and these morals on top of whatever concept I'm thinking of. How can we choose contentment despite our gender, wherever we are? in that process, that journey. Practicing cleanliness. Am I taking care of this vessel, no matter how it's presenting? Am I taking care of it? Am I being moderate with it? Am I, for me, it's my mind. I'm so hard on myself. Mm -hmm. I can never do it. There's constant criticism going on in there. Is there a way that I can moderate it Can I make it, can I be gentler with myself? Do I need 
constant practices of mindfulness and awareness to notice that I'm actually doing that? Do I need people around me who also believe in me? Yes. And tell me that I'm wonderful and that they want me to be happy and they want me to be me. And whether that means that whatever that means, surrendering to the divine. So I don't have the financial resources to have top surgery. I've surrendered it to the divine. There's nothing I can do right now. But maybe the state of Washington will have enough activists who will be working for this because it is that is their dharma. Mm. I'm over here helping people recover from trauma and relax and come back into their body. Mm. Other people are doing other work. It's all very important. And we could cross-benefit. I have surrendered that. There's, I only have so much control over so many things. And so maybe it will provide a miracle if I do surrender it and another solution will become evident that I could never have pushed to find. I could never have found it Mm -hmm. if I had pushed. I think there's a lot of maturity and like emotional sobriety to surrendering and letting everybody be what they want to be and do. Mm -hmm. No, me knowing like that I am still a part of all that is. I will never be separate. They are also a part of all that is. We are all part of this big organism. And when we realize how to treat ourselves and to treat other people, that organism is happier. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that middle part of that question. The end of it is integration into a heteronormative world. How do we use yoga to integrate into a heteronormative world? How can yoga ethics support gender identity and integration into a heteronormative world? But part of me uh, is, okay. why does the world have to be heteronormative? Heck yeah, I know. the world. Yeah, I know. I feel the same <laughs> way. I heard that too. But it's in the self-acceptance. It's in the self-acceptance and the acceptance of other people, the being in the mm-hmm. presence, not being in trauma and fight or flight and trying to change it all the time, but actually coming to a sense of like inner peace and acceptance of what is happening and realizing how many spoons do I have and what am I going to use them for? Developing more of a precision and an efficiency on how to use, for me, how to use my energy mm-hmm. has come from the practices of mindfulness of yoga of meditation of breathing regulating my breath regulating my thoughts it's a system it's a scientific system for well-being yeah it's scientific because we know that if we practice it in a certain way we'll have the same results over and over every single time yeah it's replicable it's not hooey any yoga class though, you just go to any yoga class and you just go to another any yoga class, like it's not the same. That's yeah, not the no. same so much of it. Because as you spoke about, like the yoga therapy thing that you're up to is it's the whole it's the whole pie instead of the tiniest liver that is not even worth it is the whole, yeah. eating. <laughs> nah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know that you have a closing practice to offer us. I have easily another 15 questions I could have asked you, but I want to be mindful of our audience's time. And I do have two concluding gender questions that I ask all of my guests. So I don't know what order to do those things in. Do you have a preference? I just maybe we can 
close out after the questions, after when the conversation, when you want to. Okay. Close, close. Can you share an experience with gender euphoria? So like feeling, feeling good in your gender and those sorts of feels. I know when my friends refer to me as they in front of me, I feel very seen. I feel valuable. I feel honored. I also love dressing in overalls and I feel like overalls are very sort of non-binary. I'm surprised you didn't wear overalls today, to be honest. I was teaching before, and so <laughs> I totally would have. I loved having my head shaved. Yeah, I love super fun. I love that. I love being with my trans and non-binary friends. I feel the most comfortable with my trans and non-binary friends. Like, mm-hmm. being out in regular world with cishet people is really awkward for me. Yeah. Neurotypical cishet people. It's like a nightmare. <laughs> totally. I'm so judgy when I walk away. I'm just like, oh. people are so quick to judge. And I am similar. But being in my little community of my close community of neurodivergent, queer and genderqueer folks, like I can be myself. Yeah. It's really, it's wonderful to be in a community of of people who have similar identities because you just get each other on a level. You already talked about it when you read Queer Dharma book and why have an LGBTQ class, why have a BIPOC class? Because it's, we get to mirror each other. Experience. We get to, yeah. You get it yeah. in a way that others don't. It's true. It's really that expansive mindset mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. What would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary slash trans issues? If you had the little 30 second bite that you just are like, this is the thing I want everybody to know, what would that be? It's the thing that I started talking about, the about living in duality versus non-duality. It's spiritual. Maybe not even necessarily that there's a spectrum, but there's something beyond a spectrum. Beyond it's spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the expressions of spirit. It's what the yoga tradition tells us we are heading toward. Mm-hmm. Accept it now. If we can accept it now, mm-hmm. we'll be saving ourselves a whole lot of headache when we get to the other side of the veil <laughs> and we don't have anybody to argue with. <laughs> yeah. If you're alone on this, journey if we are each one of us in in our own way connected to this greater unit of consciousness like what what i'm responsible for is to be in as much awe and enchantment as possible yeah i love that and if i'm really concerned about stuff like that i'm not going to be able to be in awe and enchantment awe and enchantment of the cishet neurotypical like way of moving through the world I'm in awe (laughs) and I'm in enchantment that I no longer identify as having to be servient to it yeah I like being radical radical. I don't have to follow rules yeah because those rules are oppressive we have a sound command on the channel where queer we do what we want (laughs) it's pretty fun (laughs) I would like that on a bumper sticker, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell the merch team. <laughs> That's so funny. 
Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Would you like to offer your your closing practice for us that you wanted to do? Your nidra, your yoga nidra? Yeah, do we have just a few minutes? Sure. Yeah. So you might bring your awareness to your seat once again. And no matter if you're lying down, if you're sitting up or standing up, you might imagine as you inhale, lengthening the spine and growing tall. And then soften the shoulders before you exhale. Glide the chin back. And then exhale. Inhaling through the nose near the point between the eyebrows. Drawing the breath all the way down into the belly, letting the belly expand and soften. And as you exhale, imagine energy moving from the base of the torso up through the center of the torso toward the spiritual eye or the prefrontal cortex of the brain. So inhaling through the nose, past the point between the eyebrows, and bringing that breath down into the belly, expand the belly. And as you exhale, imagine energy being liberated to move upward through the spine toward the spiritual eye and observe that gentle organic pause that resides at the end of the out breath before inhaling again through the nose, expanding the belly, call this diaphragmatic breathing. Four of these breaths shows change in the nervous system. Don't have to do a lot. And then exhaling when you're ready to tall spine once again, shoulders are soft, as if allowing that energy to rise effortlessly toward the spiritual eye, bringing prana or life force to the executive center of the brain. Notice the shoulders, find the breath through the nose, inhaling, softening the gaze, exhaling through the nose. Relaxing and widening at the back of the neck. Inhaling, expanding the belly. And noticing your thoughts as you exhale through the nose. Noticing the pause at the end of the out breath. A couple more if you feel to. If you can't breathe through the nose, that's fine. Breathe through the mouth. Calming for the nervous system if you can eventually close the mouth. Just do what you can. Let it be joyful and easeful and kind, just the thoughts, all of your queer and trans family around the world, one of us lighting up like a candle, looking ourselves as a unit of greater consciousness, ourselves as a part of all that is. I always feel like I'm falling asleep at the end of your practices. <laughs> your voice yeah. is so calming. <laughs> I just like trance out. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> it consistently it surprises me that I look back and you're just like peacefully smiling at me and I'm like, uh-oh, I spaced out again. <laughs> it's like ADHD and yoga. That's a whole nother three-hour podcast you could do, I'm sure. <laughs> Brooke, thank it's you so much for being a guest. It's been wonderful to have you here. Lovely to spend time with you as always. Totally. To, to our friends in the chat, to our friends watching this later, either video or audio only, you have a lot of different ways to connect with Brooke. You can find Brooke on Instagram, Brooke West Yoga, B-R-O-O-K-E-W-E-S-T-Y-O-G-A. You can also hire Brooke for private lessons. I think that you, typically it's three month sprints of lessons, which can be done online or in person. So if you're interested and you don't live in Washington state, 
that's okay. You can still work with Brooke. Lucky you. Brooke also has a website, brookewestyoga.com, where you can sign up for their newsletter. You can register for Brooke's upcoming yoga training in the middle of May next month or towards the end of the third week of May. And yeah, there's just a lot of ways to connect with and engage with these ideas and processes. And I can tell you personally, um, working with Brooke as a private client has been revolutionary. Whenever you all hear me at the end of streams and I'm like, okay, I have to go now. It's time to go to yoga. That's where I'm going (laughs) is to go to restorative yoga with Brooke. And I can say it has really helped with managing my pain, with coming to acceptance about my physical limitations in my body. And even it's, I had to accept them and now it's okay. Maybe we'll make you 3% more able-bodied than you were a month ago or whatever. And I'm just, I'm getting back range of motion in places I didn't think I would and all sorts of things. So anyways, yoga is life. <laughs> Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. Please feel free to join us live on Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays and keep an eye on our, on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio only versions. As Never Kitty says, trans rights are human rights. That's right.